0: Cloudways is a managed cloud hosting platform that simplifies the web hosting experience for agencies. The platform offers complete peace of mind and allows agencies to focus on their growth with 24-7, 365 support and very easy-to-use features. Cloudways is launching its agency partnership program that is designed to help agencies grow to new heights. Please visit cloudways.com en agency and join the program to get access to extended technical support, discounts, and co-marketing opportunities with Cloudways, that's cloudways.com slash EN agency. My name is Nathan Barbara, and you are listening to Agency Deal Masters. My extra special guest this week is Emma Thompson and she is the head of Agency Consumer Brands at Garley Slater. And what can I actually tell you? This is just a tour de force conversation about agency positioning, structuring your business, talent and recruitment. We go deep into the weeds about all things COVID and how that's changed working practices and pitching, balancing work and family life as a woman, building your career in the agency landscape, which is not easy at all. Golly Slater, for those of you that don't know, are a national integrated agency that have clients like Procter & Gamble, Nestle, Mitsubishi, just got down the list of some of the biggest brands around. They've been around for around 60 years, which is really impressive for a creative service business. And the question is really sort of how do you stay fresh and relevant when clients are always looking for the cool, hot new agency on the marketplace? They've found a way to make that experience and their brand work for them in a way that's consistent with their experience and their depth of expertise. There are only a handful of people in the world, really, who have Emma's depth of experience and perspective. Her energy is infectious. She's got a great laugh. So much Yorkshire humor, fun, and humility. Look, if you are even remotely interested in like so many things, then you will find this conversation to be absolutely fascinating. I learned a ton from this conversation. I know you will as well. So without me keeping you in suspense any further, my conversation with Emma Thompson. Emma Thompson is the head of agency consumer brands for Golly Slater. She has over 20 years of marketing agency experience across brand pharmaceutical, shopper, and retail marketing. Garley Slater is a 60-year-old integrated national agency, and they have over 170 sector specialists and discipline experts, and have an average client tenure of around 10 years with some of the best in the business, including p Coca-Cola, Mitsubishi, the Welsh Government, and NPower. I'm very much looking forward to the conversation. Emma Thompson, welcome to Agency Deal Masters.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you for virtually having
0: me here. Absolute pleasure having you on the show. It's what we've all had to get used to over the last 12 months. And that's part of the conversation we're going to have here, actually. Are we going to continue living and doing business in this way after we come out of lockdown, which we're just about to in the UK? Um, So we can come back to that in a a, a little bit. But let's start with your history and background, because it's absolutely fascinating. You studied at Northumbria University in 1994 yeah. and initially I think you wanted to be a lawyer. How did you make the switch from law to marketing?
1: Um, I fell into the switch I think. I had a really really pragmatic view on the situation when I was looking at it and I took an incredible immediate gratification uh, view of it um, I wanted a solid wage versus four years of additional debt and potential unemployment at the end of it. And because I didn't just want to be a lawyer, I wanted to be a barrister's clerk. And that was it. Mm. That's all I wanted to be. I just wanted to work in case law and just argue and argue and argue my point across. Um, and it's a really, really competitive area. Um, the wages for the first 10 years were probably less than minimum. Mm. Um, and it was gonna be a very, very long path. Um, and I took the path of least resistance. And at the time I was subsidizing my studies um, with part-time job as an account exec at a local print house and agency. And I just loved the vibe and the culture. And um, so I literally switched it into a part time job to a full time job and no regrets. And I just, I still love what I do even now. So agency through and through and always have been. Um, <laughs> it's just the vibe you get in an agency. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's just it's second to none. And I think
2: different that energy.
1: I don't think I would have ever got my, that side of my personality um, kind of like fully fulfilled had I've gone down the, the lawyer barrister route
0: really interesting so so you've been with Golly slater now for around 10 years in various sort of different roles and the agency itself has been around for 65 years i think when everyone is so obsessed with kind of the new thing and new agencies and new services is being a 65 year old agency a good thing or a bad thing
1: (laughs) Oh, a bit of both. I mean, you, at the end of the day, you get free public transport at 65, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> age is a number. You know, you are literally speaking to someone who has had two dates during COVID and I am the what you might consider the wrong side of 40. Um, but, uh, you know, being old is a good thing. You know, it brings experience, maturity, stability and stamina, I think. And it really does show that you've, you know, done the test of time. And I think the same can be said for agencies, you know, Mm. they've established themselves. They have shown that they can go through adversity and continue and thrive um, in different landscapes all the time. And like any brand, you know, we've been brand building for 65 years. We've got recognition in the industry. We've brought equity into this industry. We've got long tenure with our clients. So actually, you know, on the face of it, looking in, I would say it's a really, really good thing, you know, um, to to have been around for that length of time. I wouldn't dwell too much on it, though. I don't think it's a, unless you can wrap it up into a complete client benefit, um, there's no real point in banging on about how old you are. You know, I don't bang on about how old I am, apart, unless I want to talk about the experience that my age mm. has given. Um, so, really, for me, it's it's just about it's about being relevant. Sure. And by building a brand and by refreshing your brand, you are always staying relevant um, to to what a client needs. Um, and that's what kind of like agencies think more about the tenure, if I am honest, mm. than the clients do. When it comes to newness, I think that an established agency can still have that sense of newness um, because they have to keep fresh. I look at some of the work and the work mix that we are doing now is completely different to what we were doing four years ago. Even in the last 12 months, Mm. gamification has been massive. So the requirement for AR and for, you know, gaming, in-game advertising has increased. And that's the type of thing that we're getting into now that we wouldn't have really conceived 12 months ago. So we have to newness to me is a mindset that I think the people can harness. And we've reflected that Mm. in our um, agency's brand positioning, because we've just done an agency brand launch. We've reflected the brand positioning with the words like curious and unexpected. You know these words denote that youthfulness and that exploratory nature of what our people are. So you can see from the outside, the business and the establishment itself might be sixty-five years, the people still have that beautiful curiosity that give that new and that freshness to what clients are really needing. But for me, it's all about just answering a client client problem with Mm. whatever it's going to be. Sometimes it's tried and tested. Another time, they do need that new freshness inserted into um, into their organization. And that's what we can offer them.
0: So that's a nice segue to my next question actually about the positioning piece <laughs> that you actually developed. I think you came up with it during during COVID so you haven't wasted any time uh, in this pandemic. But you came up with the positioning, curiosity creates the unexpected. How did you come up with that positioning and what does it mean for clients?
1: Um, well, you're absolutely right. Covid didn't it didn't defer us from our from our planning, and um, we were always really looking to refresh the brand externally um, in 2019. What the pandemic actually did was accelerate it um, because we could get diary dates all of a sudden. Um, we didn't have to wait for face to face meetings with you know the, the key people around the table for kickoffs. So um, working from home did actually accelerate that that positioning piece we might still be just at the infancy of trying to work it out then it's really really easy for an agency when they're developing themselves to be completely introspective and just to say what do we want to be what do we need what do we um, want to push out to the world and so it's very interesting that you say what does it mean for clients because that was our very very first go-to point um We knew that from researching what clients really wanted from us. um, They were looking for someone who completely understood them and understood their business challenges. They wanted people to shortcut swiftly to an effective solution and be completely focused um, on their business challenges as much as they were themselves. Um, And never lose sight of their business challenges because, you know, they what they need to have developed today, tomorrow is gonna be different. So they wanted to make sure that their agency is completely on board with their business challenge, not just the brief that's in front of them. And that was one of the things that we wanted to do when we actually like unpacked this proposition. So curiosity creates the unexpected. What we wanted to do is we wanted to bring to life the identity of the agency and celebrate that natural curiosity that our individuals have. and how that when we bring these people together we can create the unexpected um, in a client ch- you know to a client challenge it gives that nod as well to the way that we work you know together internally and how we unpack the unexpected solutions together through this passionate teamwork um, we align ourselves with sector specialists and discipline expertise and that's how we can offer the most kind of like effective solution from a full marketing toolbox Um, the results and we've seen these before they cut straight to the heart of that business challenge that all important business challenge because we put it to the heart of the the actual questioning at the very beginning so most most clients just want sales growth brand prosperity or behavior change from an agency Mm -hmm. that's all they want and if we just concentrate on what their business objectives are then we're going to succeed for them and then we're going to you know create this unexpected solutions that they might not have never ever conceived um just by having that pure curiosity internally to 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 be driven and to be passionate to deliver their answers above their expectation levels
0: Hmm. really interesting so let's talk about the agency in a bit more detail then tell us what services you offer how is the agency structured yeah
1: Well, 65 years, we've been quite busy. So (laughs) we're we're really, really fortunate to have a lot of clients in different sectors. Mm. And we're really fortunate also to have loads of talent across many different disciplines. So together we can be integrated. Yeah, and we can give a full marketing toolbox requirement. But separately, we can be very, very specialist. We can be very, very um, dedicated to a specific client challenge that requires a specific output. Right Now, we deliberately align ourselves um, to our clients' needs and reflect back what they want to see. And when I said at the beginning that what clients want, they want you to get them, they want you to understand their industry. And that's the first port of call that we go to. We have sector experts so we've got like you know we've got we're set up with a broad reflection we're we're set up by the broad reflection of the industry sectors of our clients so we can categorize them to a certain extent of consumer brands which is where i work Uh, we've got b2b we've got automotive we've got finance we've got education and we've got 50 plus so we've got a big broad range of sector specialists Sure. that means that someone like me i can just obsess myself with fmcg land uh, <laughs> to understand totally understand what's going on in retail space yeah. how how we how uh, disruptive marketing is being used on social media all of those things specifically for what my clients want and we're in a very very small industry so the amount of times i've spoken to a client at one place and then they've turned up somewhere else you know after 20 years of just being in FMCG consumer brands, you tend to mm. understand and you know the landscape. So the minute you walk in a room, I'm hoping that me and my my guys who've been in um, consumer brands can sit there and, and totally understand what that business challenge is because they totally understand that, that the industry that our client's sitting in. Um, There's a lot of catch-up needed to be done if you try to put me in the same room as someone in automotive (laughs) because I don't know the car industry. Mm. So sector specialism is a really good way of kind of having that immediate recognition and nod with that client straight away. So we're blessed to have so many different clients where we can actually arrange ourselves into sectors. What that allows us to then do is... Bolster all of those specialists with discipline experts, because we can't be jack of all and master of none, can we? You know, integration might just be generalists. So we're not generalists. And what's great is we have like agnostic discipline experts within our within our business teams within our business, such as media. Social PR, we've got shopper marketing experts, we've got CRM experts, we've got experiential sales lead generations and full creative and and strategists. Some of those play into more of the, the, the sectors, but they can broadly be agnostic and play under every single one of the sectors if they're led by a sector leader who can give them the information that they need for the industry. That in itself, is quite siloed and disparate, doesn't it? Sounds very, very siloed and disparate. And that's the reason why we talk about um, curiosity, creating the unexpected, and how it's how we combine internally in order to do that. And we do that because we fit the team around the problem. Mm-hmm. So we take the sector specialist, and we blend those with various different disciplines. and. The two can come together and they can come up with the most unimaginable um, solutions that you have ne- that you would never have conceived when you first walked into the room. Because their ideas are fresh, because that team is fresh. It's not the same pitch team day in, day out. I've probably pitched more, more, more times in COVID than I have fingers. And I can honestly say that my pitch team is different each time because we build a team around the business problem. And what we do do is we get that we can get we get more in at the very very beginning and we we sit there and, and really unpack the business challenge what is the client trying to get to the way we do it because we do it like that because we've arranged ourselves like that there isn't um there isn't any force fitting of a certain discipline onto the output you know so the client might say the business challenge um it probably needs a social media campaign yeah but we're not very good at social media campaigns so what we're going to do is we're going to flog them a website (laughs) because that's what we do we don't have to do that because we've got all the marketing know-how in our toolkit Mm. and we've got all those disciplines so we can really just be so pure about it and just go what does the client really need what does the Mm. solution actually not the client what does the solution really need to be and let's fit the output to the solution. The biggest thing you need for all of that, the biggest mantra about fitting team around the problem and making sure that there's no idea is a bad idea is you've got to leave your egos at the door. Um, when people come into those rooms, there isn't any of that internal politics that we that other big agencies would naturally have, like, well, whose p is this going to sit on? Um, we don't have that, like, well, my team want this, my team want this. Um, the curiosity of the individuals—that thing that we we harness and we we kind of like um, embrace—allows us to say, you, "You're in here for a reason. Everybody's on their A game. Leave the ego at the door. Let's just get to the bottom of this solution. Let's just win this. Let's just win this for the client. You know, let's just win that sale. Get that brand prosperity. Get that behavior change. Let's create something that's really unexpected." So. For me, it's all just driven by passion mm. and passion to do a great job and ego's secondary to that.
0: Yeah. And there's a huge amount of experience there that you've accumulated across all of those different sectors that can come together on a client pitch or, or problem to solve the problem in a really sort of creative way. I mean, 65 years worth. <laughs> so that's, that's really quite valuable. What's your, what would you say is your superpower as an, as an agency? If you could sort of distill it down what makes you different, special, stand out to other integrated agencies, maybe with also a long, attenuated history? What's your superpower as, as yeah. an agency?
1: Secret power. Um, I think our individuals all have their own secret powers. Mm. I don't think the agency itself, it, the agency itself is just a, the establishment that collects the individuals together. And each individual has its own secret power, its own its own. Everyone's born curious in different ways. And um, harnessing whatever it is inside them, whatever they're passionate about, let them go for it. That's probably the secret power. Mm. We're, we're very patient um, and we believe that personal betterness is the most important duty that any employer could have. Um, mm. And, uh, yeah, we, t- we, we take pride in making sure that the people who work for us and ourselves are enriched on a daily basis. I mean, I'm hoping you can hear from, just from the the very way I talk, um, Mm. that the passion doesn't go the longer you've been here. just evolved. So the newness is still there. The newness is still really, really fresh in me, even though I've been here 10 years and the business has been here forever mm. because we can, we can always like light, light it up. And I think that that's the, the, the wonderful world that we live in with regards to um, marketing communications is that it's never the same, you know, this year versus last year, we're, we're doing things differently and we're, we're gifted the freedom to believe in betterness for ourselves and betterness for our agency yeah i go to the ceo um often (laughs) i seem to be the one who goes a lot uh i've got an idea i've got an idea i need to get my checkbook out
0: really well how much do you want want this time
1: I don't want money, honestly. I just want some time <laughs> and sometimes that's more valuable. Yeah, sometimes sure. that's all I want. I just want some time. I just need some time for me. I'm gonna fit a team around a problem. I'm gonna come up with a solution and then I'm gonna take it to the world. Um, and it's that raw enthusiasm. So, so yeah, our secret power is harnessing the individual secret power and allowing them to, to keep that curiosity that, that's driven within them. I think, that, I think that's it. Yeah.
0: Love it absolutely love it. So so you talked about earlier sort of what's changed and what stayed the same over the last 12 months. Let's talk about what clients want in from pitches these days or, or what clients are asking you for in pitches and how that's changed over the last 12 months during COVID if it has at all. Have you noticed any significant differences in what clients are asking for now versus 12 13 months ago?
1: Yeah. You know, I mean, we keep on banging on about tenure and age and I've been around the block for 20 years, so I can, I can remember those. It, it seems that it's definitely changed. I think that's, that's one of the answers and I think it's changed for, for the good um, and it's changed for good and for the good, yeah? Mm-hmm. Um, I would pretty much say that it seems incredulous now to look back... Uh, the way I used to pitch five years ago and see chemistry sessions, really, they were just slightly staged meet and greets, weren't they? <laughs> you know, and mm-hmm. it was, you knew everyone was being marked um, in a chemistry session. It didn't really feel as if we're just trying to see if we can collaborate and if we can, if we can have a partnership between each other. It was literally the, the first stage of getting to know you. Um, mm-hmm. And then we used to, what, what used to happen is you used to get given a brief, and you used to take it away and you used to rack your brains around it with a really, really small team for days or weeks. And you used to put insight there, you used to get your strategies, you used to get your media and your comms planning, you'd get your creative. Then you would do like um, after your concepts, which you would do three of them, you wouldn't just do one. Then you'd work up loads of executions for it and you would ram it all into a 50 page document. <laughs> yeah. And these, yeah, these sounds w- familiar. This week's worth of five people's brains in 50 pages or longer. Yeah. Not in my industry. (laughs) One week. (laughs) That's it. Okay. (laughs) You Um, guys are really efficient. Yeah. Um, And and then you'd have to, you'd dovetail it with client credentials, bios, um, case studies, everything. And you'd be given an hour. Wow. You wouldn't you? That was it. You're given an hour. You'd all trot down to um, on the train at six o'clock in the morning, all nervous as hell. You had 15 minutes, because I used to always do the planning section, or still do. It's my favourite part. And, okay. But I would obsess about that for a week, for a week and I was given 15 minutes. Oh, my God. I'm, I'm I'm more of a um, unpack and explore through lots of words and, and over a cup of tea, or maybe a glass of wine. Rather than um, I'll deliver you a a killer two two sentences and I'm going to knock you dead. Sure. I I can't do that type of delivery. So
2: Mm.
1: for for anyone like me who just wants to explore it and talk it out, that is a very, very stressful situation to be in. Mm. And I don't actually think it puts any, any agency in good light. What's interesting is I think that the way we used to be set up and the way the pitches used to be set, set up, they were all designed on creative output. And can your agency deliver a creative output that is different to another agency's creative output under pressure and under a microscope? And that's how the original pitch ways were taken. Here's a brief, off you go, come back, show us your wares. But there's so much more intricacy now.
0: It's interesting. It's testing a quite specific skill, isn't it? As you describe that, as you say that. It's testing how can you respond to this brief under pressure, under time pressure, with the spotlights on. It's almost like a performance, and that's a very different skill Mm. to what then needs to be delivered for the client's campaign. Um, it's, It's almost the difference between an exam, doing an invigilated exam, and actually, learning your subject matter and do, and being very good at your at your subjects is it's two very different things, and which I hadn't that hadn't really clicked for me until you just described mm-hmm. that.
1: Absolutely, and I think that when we have those pitches, they, it, those pitches are fine if they if they're to buy a thing at the end of the day. It's like I need mm-hmm. a campaign, and I want the best creative idea first. That's all and i'm I'm throwing it out because i'm I'm pitching for a creative idea that's absolutely fine what well, more commonplace now is and, and what I love is that um clients are looking for relationships you know they're looking for a partner they 're looking for someone they can collaborate with, so that pitching process doesn't work if you're wanting to get to know your people and see if you can bounce off each other. it doesn't work, and what we found. it it did start creeping in in the last couple of years because the type of relationships that we have even the procurement officers want you to go on a quite a long process to get to know each other and actually chemistry is really really important and i think nowadays a chemistry session is just that it's a tell us a bit about yourself we're not going to sit here staged and we're not going to mark you we're going to talk to you we're going to talk you know it's it's almost like it's a matchmaking um, ceremony to a certain extent. Um, so I've noticed really that during COVID we are f- we've we've been we've all been forced into working from home. So what we've been able to do is spend more time talking. Um, the opening up of Teams and Zoom has allowed us to ask for impromptu meetings with our clients. Um, even if we're in a pitch stage. So would you mind if we put some check-ins in your diary? Would you mind if we had a tissue session? Would you mind if I spent 35 minutes talking about my planning because you're only going to give me 15 minutes on the day in three weeks' time? And if I do it now, then at least I know that you've heard it. And that actually, that's going to inform the creative anyway. And if I don't get this right, then I've, I've set them up for a fail. So, you know, let's do these check-ins, let's do these tissue sessions. We've got loads of anecdotes that um, working through that and having the client actually work into those creative ideas during the tissue session has made the solution more superior because they've actually managed, it becomes less about pitching and it becomes more about answering a business challenge that they are then going to take and buy because many people now aren't putting agencies through the ringer just to see if they've got a great idea. They do want to buy the idea at the end of the day, or they do want to buy into that agency and activate what they've produced at the end of the day. So there's no bad time being spent on working through that idea together. Um, through the actual pitch process. And then when you come out of it, there's no big, brilliant, like great reveal ta-da moment because they've seen it all. However, there is something that everybody feels as if they contributed to, everybody feels as if it's the right solution for for the business. And it's not time or money being wasted. Um, my uh, creative director, I did ask him because he's probably been on more pitches than I have. Um And he said that it's much more like kinetic nowadays. Um, The original brief actually gets evolved through the process of chatting, through the process of catch-up sessions and those tissue sessions. And for for the creatives themselves, they're like sponges. And the more stimulation you give them um, and the more you kind of like nudge them into the right direction, you wouldn't believe how good the output could be from the original brief that's given or from one set of um one one planning planning assumption document it really does evolve and it's very very bespoke then to the individuals that are actually having it presented to it feels mm. more like their baby and less but like the agency's baby and that's true collaboration right there you know mm. that's 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 the meaning of of, of what we what we have to do to actually bring a a great idea together let's
0: talk about COVID-19 and how it's affected the talent pool especially across the country Um, everywhere from sort of London to Leeds to uh, Manchester and, and, and Birmingham and everywhere else in between how do you think COVID has affected the talent pool how do you think we will be operating when we go back to this kind of new normal or this new world that we'll be entering into after lockdown talk a little bit about what the future looks like
1: (laughs) I think yeah blimey because we've just been in a cocoon haven't we we've just all been sitting in our own pajamas um (laughs) for the last 12 to 14 months and just kind of at least the
0: bottom half (laughs)
1: yeah absolutely top half is professional (laughs) My right. life is always professional. I know, apart from I have to wear a beanie hat as soon as we get past six weeks of the hairdressers being sharp. It's like the beanie hat comes on and everyone thinks I'm just really rocking it and they don't realise it's just... And it's not because I've got really dark roots. It's because my grey is coming through so badly. I can't have it shown. Not on camera. It's, it's on distinguished. Camera. It's distinguished. Not in a lady, it's not, darling. Uh, um, how's it affected... Wow, Um, a a guy, a guy I knew, um, a really, really dear old friend of mine used to always say that the world's your lobster, um, which is a fantastic (laughs) expression, but I do truly believe that from a talent perspective in any industry, what COVID has basically done is blown the doors on, um, cities and locations and actually made it accessible for you to work anywhere in the UK, because to work anywhere in the UK, you're pretty much working in your kitchen. Mm-hmm. uh at Le- you know two to three days a week. I I remember back back in the day because Leeds is it Leeds on the on the six o'clock red eye you can get to London in um two hours fifteen minutes. And it costs an absolute fortune but you can get to London in two hours fifteen. And right. I knew um and I thought it was mad at the time I've known a like senior strategist from WPP agency and I've known a um the PR director at uh, a London retail um, chain, they used to they used to be known, and there was more of them, there was one carriage on that train on Monday mm-hmm. morning, and it was the Monday to Thursday crew, and it was the 6 a.m. Monday to Thursday crew, and they would literally wow. pack their bags, get on that train at 6 o'clock on Monday morning, yeah. go and stay in London for two to three nights, and then do two one day at home, so they would do the Friday at home, and they do that every week, regardless. Exactly. What? Ugh. Why would you do yeah. that? Yeah. And that used to be live. So, if you wanted to work in London and you lived in Leeds, that's what you used to have to do. And Good. the same can be said for um, the Trans Pennine crossing, you know, our M62. Um, I mean, that, that is just horrific to get across to Manchester from Leeds you know it's packed trains really really unpredictable or a very very busy motorway so it'll take you two hours to do a 45 minute journey to go that way Mm. so really the effects of COVID on talent and on agencies um it's basically an agency client partnerships I would say it's really just blown the doors open for um us to be more UK centric rather than city location centric. I think that, yes, you know, it, it, it means that we would have to be more careful with our talent. And I think we should always be careful with the people that we work for anyway, um, to protect them and keep them, you know, because obviously our, our competitor set has just grown. Mm. You know, it's, it, it's been more abundant. Um, yeah, are competing
0: with everyone now. Yeah. But also absolutely. the talent pool has widened.
1: Exactly. So there is, there is, there in it, that. That's the um, that's the flip side to it. Because location isn't necessary for for a role. Um, it does mean that we can we can our talent pool can be can be wider. But also, I think that I don't think it's migration necessarily of of talent to London or London talent to Leeds. But I think that what we will see is a migration of different businesses moving out of London and not necessarily seeing the importance of being in London whether that be agencies because our rent's cheaper rent and rent's cheaper in the north Mm -hmm. um or whether it actually be big companies like we've seen Channel 4 move to leeds mm. and there's a lot more moving so that in itself can only help prosper our industry and our city in leeds um, and provide more be- benefits for all of us and more opportunities for all of us so i do i'm a great i mean I'm a majority but i live in leeds um <laughs> and i I'm, I'm getting sl- i'm getting further and further south <laughs> but i don't think i need to <laughs> It's a bit too warm, down not Won't you? Well, um, but I do. I do I, I've spoken to I've, I've spoken to my friends in the industry that work at different companies. Um, some that work in London, some that work in Manchester, some that work in Leeds. And us Northerners do have a little bit of a chip on our shoulder, you know, uh, we're, we're the Northern agency. Thank you very much. You know, we've almost got to excuse ourselves when we walk into the room. Oh, um, interesting. Yeah, we do. You, but it's our perception. We feel we need to work harder because we're not the London agency. But it's strange. I'm taking this from my perspective because I obviously work in Leeds. Our agency, however, has a London base, has a Wales base, has a Siren Sester base. Um, But just from my agency in Leeds, yeah, and for the agencies that I've worked at in the past it's um it has always felt as if we've we've got to we've got to be better to be able to be in the room with the network agencies and the ones that just kind of you know go in and do the job day in day out I'll is that changing like i think is that
0: still the same do you think i
1: think i think it's i think it's changed in the sense that location is agnostic now in Mm. the sense that we're all in our pyjamas in our houses. And and I don't think that even in, we're going to be restricted with regards to our travel for the first six months when we come out of this. So that's that's still knocking the time on. That's 18 months then, isn't it? It's going to take us to 18 months. So I can't see any big corporate companies. We work with Coke and Procter & Gamble. We used to be down there every week. We used to go and see them. We used to go to Sweden. We used to go to uh geneva once a month constantly thinking face to face you know being in face-to-face meetings have to get the presence in have to get the uh the agency in front of people um and and having it demanded could you come to this meeting can you attend this all meetings are done on teams now and i think that's the that will start to continue because of the the efficiencies of having a team with you for a meeting, but not having to get them to, um, you know, get on a, get on a train for two hours. Or
0: do you think we lose something though with that?
1: I think we as would, well, yeah, absolutely. I think human nature will require us to want to spend time together in mm-hmm. in, the, in a face to face environment. One hundred percent. I don't think that um, teams and video chat is uh it's it's acceptable but it's it's not the best solution for every conversation however yeah. in, you know instead of being in london once a week with the same client you might be in london every other week or yeah. every month and um, this has now become a substitute but um i think face-to-face meetings will still continue but less frequently, you know, and there'll probably be more emphasis, um, on the reason why the meeting has to go ahead face to face. I think that, yeah, I think that's what, that's probably what it'll be. I crave company, like proper company, um, Mm. mainly from my teammates, but you, you can't, you can't replicate chemistry, you know, going back to pitching, You can't replicate that chemistry really Mm. over teams Mm. unless you have your team on one side and the other teams on the other side. But lots of little tiles of different people's faces talking over each other because there's a tiny, tiny delay Um, and someone driving the Mac and they're not pressing the button quickly enough. It doesn't, it, it doesn't really conjure up that, that kind of beautiful chemistry that you would get if you were face-to-face. You know, you, you lose a lot of your body language cues. Um, and a lot of the things that we use, you know, humans do use to connect um, with, with with each other. We lose it.
0: Yeah no really really interesting and um you know i think we're all just just fed up now and we all want to get back to normal i heard the other day that even introverts are are like fed up with the situation (laughs) they're like right finally can we can we have some company please um yeah Yeah. right exactly let's talk a little bit about i guess a a subject that's quite close to your heart and a lot of working mothers as well who have been in, in a very similar situation before we get to our our favorite questions towards the end of the interview that we ask all of our guests so last last few questions on this but i'm really fascinating about what you um your, your perspective on this because you're married you you have children got a very busy household lots of responsibility how do you balance pursuing your career while raising children and keeping your family together and having a partner as well that who also has Uh, you know um, a a very high pressured job and you're earning similar amounts of of income where does the you know where are the fault lines here and sort of who picks up the slack
1: yeah where's the give in the system where is the give where is the give in the system Um, I think that I'd probably blow a hole in anybody's um, expectations and realisms by saying that I think that you, the theory that you can have it all doesn't exist. <laughs> I don't think you can have it all. I really don't. I don't, you know, I look and I, there's only so many hours in a day um, and there's only so much you can do. And I look and I think, before I was a mum, I worked for 15 years full time. And then I became a mum, but I was still working full time. How are you supposed to squeeze all that in? How do you just squeeze another? dimension of your life into your existing life you, right. you can't you, you right. absolutely can't you walk around feeling like a complete failure all the time I've let somebody down you know I've forgotten to put I've forgotten to send my kids to school with a Chris Dingle or oh, I've forgotten a really important meeting with a client you know you've you juggling so much that you forget everything and you beat yourself up over it all the time because you're trying to pretend that you can keep it all together. And I think that the biggest thing about balancing it off is knowing that you can't do everything perfectly. You, 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 you can't do everything perfectly, you see? Mm. So for me, I believe that in setting expectations, myself, my own expectations and I do less better. That's it because I can't do everything. I just try to Mm. do less, but I do it, I smash it out park. So whatever. Give me an example. Um well if I was going to do a if I was if I was working on a pitch, I'd dedicate myself to that pitch. I would prioritize my time um, and I'd backburn a lot of the other pieces that i was going to do and i'll say that and i will level everyone's expectations i'm not going to do that this week i'm going Mm. to do this because i want to do this and i want to do it to the best of my ability and i have to focus on this right now and i think that that's probably where most of the demands will come i i often rightly or wrongly i don't believe in a hard and fast separation between uh work and home um like a lot of people in our industry or a a lot of um, office work today really, it's not nine to five. You know, There's a lot of pre and post thinking and chewing over situations um, that needs to be done before you actually kind of like get into the office and what have you. So I don't clock off and I don't clock on and I don't think any business leader does. So rightly or wrongly, I don't have two things to do lists. I don't have one for work in a diary and then one for home on the calendar on the kitchen to kitchen fridge. Mm. I have one because I have one life and I have mm. 24 hours and I have so I have one things to do list. Sure. And on that things to do list, what it, what it gets me to do, it makes me evaluate and prioritise every single day's task. Which ones am I going to do? Which ones am I going to tell people that I'm not going to do? Mm. You know, and it might just be bumping a meeting and people, oh, do you mind if i push push it to Thursday? Um, because balance, balancing doesn't mean 50-50. It can't. You can't have mm. 50% of my life is at work and 50% of my life is at home. It doesn't really work like that. Sometimes 70% of my focus needs to be at work and my kids can do with 30 um, and my husband can pick up the other 20, hey, eh? Maybe every now and again. <laughs> or then other times, my kids need me more than my, my you know, my work does. So sure. it's, it, it has to be flipped and it has to be, it's a personal kind of journey that you take when you, when you balance things off. But balance for me doesn't mean 50-50 and it doesn't mean trying to do everything badly it just means setting those expectations and doing less but doing it better mm. and really really perfecting the the task that you're doing right now so that you don't have to go back and revisit again and you don't feel like a failure and you don't feel as if you've let everybody down so it's um it's 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 very very much about making sure that you evaluate and prioritize so it's you have to be quite methodical And hard on yourself, you know. There's certain things that I don't want to do, but sometimes I've just got to eat the frog. You know, it's gonna be. (laughs) (laughs) I love that expression. I love it. Yeah, Yeah. brilliant. (laughs) I love the expression. Eat that frog.
0: Eat that frog. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes you just have to do things that you just don't want to do, and you have to push through. So, so how has this affected? How has COVID affected the responsibility that women take on at home? And, and how has it shifted the power dynamic between couples?
1: Yeah. Um, I, don't, I think there was probably a, quite a lot of uh, strong words being said um, around and about with couples um, over, over the COVID time. Um, I think the, the hardest part, really, for balancing, when we're talking about balancing responsibilities, um, especially when you're working, um, had to be in the lockdowns when the kids were being homeschooled um because like i say you know we have 24 hours in a day mine are already filled and now you're going to put another six hours of a day of homeschooling on me mm. oh, where's that gonna <laughs> come from you know like, how am i gonna do that you know yeah am i just gonna start waking people up at two o'clock in the morning so i can have team talks it's, well. We
0: need to manufacture more hours in the day. Clearly,
1: I, I think we do, you know. But then the rhetoric is that really, well, aren't we going to four-day weeks? You know, isn't that what the country's going to try and go to four-day weeks? I'm just like, well, what am I going to do? Well, how can I do four-day weeks? <laughs> <laughs> what? It's unreal. Yeah, yeah it is it unreal. Is. I think it was fog. It was it it was a total fog and abandonment of anything that was normal. And um, during, during those times, I think I, I, like any other parent, probably sat there and listened to Boris Johnson saying that he's going to keep the kids off school <laughs> till, till March. <laughs> but this time, could you just do the work at home, please? You know, could you, just put, could you put a six-year-old in front of an iPad and make him turn it on and make him look at it for more than six seconds? Could you just do that, please? <laughs> OK. And could you do it consistently five days a week for, Right. For months. For months, for months. And could you still manage a business and and have a look and look after all of those people as well? Absolutely Um, crazy. And I I wasn't in a great situation. I think most people probably, you know, most couples managed and they juggled it and they were like, right, you take the morning shift, I'll take the afternoon shift. Mm. I didn't have the luxury of that. Unfortunately I didn't. My personal experience is that my husband kind of um, picked his pack up up every morning and went to the building site and went, see you later Pat. And lit <laughs> really did leave me to it <laughs> because he couldn't work from home and never have, Sure, um, You know, cause he's got his own construction business. So for me, it was just virtually impossible.
0: Um, How many children do
2: you have?
1: I've got two. I've got a 13-year-old um, and, a, and, a, and a six-year-old, and they have very, very different needs. Obviously, yeah. the six-year-old needs to be taken care of, um, you know, physically and mentally, ta- you know, taken care of and actually kind of like fed and stuff like that, where <laughs> my, <laughs> my 13-year-old is a little bit more independent, but she needs sure. emotional support. Mm. So from going through covid for her it was more well, I don't get to see my friends and you know I I'm, I don't want to tell the teacher I don't understand this this maths um, mm. so that was that was quite difficult i think that the biggest responsibility um that parents really have taken on during this time in the additional responsibility that I, that, that we took on during covid was protecting our children um, from the uncertainty and the anxieties that come with the pandemic. Mm. Um, kids thrive on routine and they absolutely love to live in the black and the white. They know to, they need to know right and wrong. They need to know where they're going. They don't like maybes. They don't like if buts. So it was very, very hard to take a child's routine and take the the absolutes of black and white and throw them into the land of the grey for 12 months, which is what we all did. So so holding it together and protecting them from this anxieties of not knowing how long this is gonna last, not knowing how long the parks and schools were gonna be closed, when they could see their friends, to to keep them um, away from the anxieties that we were feeling um, was probably, biggest additional responsibility that i took on during Mm. covid and i took that on more than i took on the homework Mm. (laughs) i didn't really you know they will catch up um i didn't like a lot of my friends they were just let's just keep them warm secure safe loved cherished and alive and alive, yeah, yeah. Let's keep our marriage going. Right, exactly. Let's just, right, let's exactly. just, let's just, let's just get, get through. Get through this, yeah. And what what warmed me was how a lot of people like myself completely um, rejected the um, Hollow Willoughby kind of beautiful uh, Instagram pictures of her sitting there with eat, sleep, play, repeat, and her one child and the other one you know, one child nursing oh. one child and the other one doing their homework in this beautiful environment, this completely serene setting.
0: It wasn't like that for you? No.
1: It, I don't no. Think it was like, no. Bit, bit, no different. bit different. Bit different. Bit different your side. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I rejected that. <laughs> I rejected those views as, as a lot sure. of my friends did. And most of the memes I was kind of connecting with as my friends were was that real kind of, The reality of parenting during lockdown, and um, the memes that were reflected uh, were the ones of the woman in her pajamas drinking wine out of a cup at (laughs) half past nine in the morning. You know, going, "What do you mean you can't get on there? Right? Have you have you tried booting it up?" And it was those. What you going
0: running? What you going jogging for at nine o'clock in the morning? I saw one. I saw one like that. A lady. I think it must have been, I don't know, she had a big glass of red wine and she saw a lot of joggers and runners running past her home. She was like, why are you running at 7, nine o'clock in the morning as she was chugging on her on her glass of <laughs> red wine? I think that's the reality for a lot of people.
1: It is. That was reality. Mm. And what I love is the, the macabre humour we had. Mm. You needed that because you needed to realise that not everybody was doing Hollow Willoughby. perfectness and I want I, I like the imperfection in life and I, I like to. I'm, I'm very, very self-deprecating, and I'll be the first person to hand up and say I can't do it all. Um, I love it when other people show that rawness and actually put some humour behind it. And mm. they, these, these will be like war tales, won't they? They'll be like the war stories. I'm right. already starting to see, you know, the confessions of the COVID. <laughs> the COVID <laughs> confessions are starting to come out. Are you, are you seeing them on, the, on the? Uh, the internet about, oh, you know, I used to go around and like nick, nick my next door neighbor's toothbrush because I didn't <laughs> want to go to the shops to buy my own. All of these like little kind of stories are coming out now. And, sure. and that's, I think it's that, it's that grit and that English humor that got, got us through the, the, um, the gray days. For me, it was, it was, um, it was a bit more peachy Because as soon as Boris had announced that all the kids were going to have to stay at home, um, I did about two weeks of it. And then I actually had to go into hospital for abdominal surgery. So I was in hospital and then unable to pick up a kettle for six weeks. So my children got a place straight back in school. (laughs) I mean, good or bad. But yeah, that was... um, so yeah so actually looking back for me i'm thinking oh okay so yeah we were homeschooling our children we're in the middle of a pandemic i was trying to still run a business and i had to go in for abdominal surgery (laughs) okay okay and you managed to get through like yeah you just do you just do Um,
0: unreal unreal what a lockdown experience a lot of amazing yeah. stories are going to come out in the next few months anyway absolutely um we're fast running out of time Emma but I can't let you go without asking our favorite questions that we ask all of our guests so I'm gonna pick us some of these from our, our long list and, and fire them at you um tell us about a time this is my favorite one by the way tell us about a time when you failed and what you learned from the
1: experience <sighs> I've failed. Can you imagine? I've only failed once or twice in my life. No. no. So, okay. That's no. pretty good. No, no, no. <laughs> I seriously haven't. No, I've failed far too many times to remember, both personally and professionally, um, mm. to actually pick one out, really. I think the only thing that I do, I embrace failure, not because I do it often. <laughs> Please don't think that. No. Um, I see them as learnings i i see uh failure as just being you know just being part of like human life it, and it's and it's about learning so I don't actually bother myself too much about the things that i can't change so you know I, I learn from it and um I fail fast and then I move on so long as I can learn from it i don't think i don't i don't think any failure is a bad failure um mm. I've got a meme on my wall and it says that you you don't lose when you fail you lose when you quit mm. and it's Love it. massive difference and mm. huge difference and I, I don't like to quit but I don't mind failing so long mm. as I can reflect and
2: move on
0: Absolutely love it tell us about some of your favourite books uh, what do you read for personal development business development uh, FMCG reading <laughs> tell us about some of the books that you absolutely love
1: I read so many and listen to a lot that yeah. um, that not one normally stands out. I normally probably remember about two or three chapters in one and it'll just it'll just you know enhance my life and then I move on. So it's very, very difficult to actually like have a playlist or a bookshelf, uh, yeah. physical or virtual bookshelf I can go that, 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 that. One that really, really sticks out to me though, that's had a massive profound effect on me, is um, is a book called The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. Eckhart um, Tolle. Eckhart Tolle, yeah. So Eckhart Tolle, Power of Now, it's one of the most profound books that I've, I've pre- pretty much ever read. Um, it evaluates our emotional connection um, with our actual thoughts and feelings, which are very, very different things. Um, and the book teaches us to respect and enjoy the present moment, just to live right now for today to take every breath. It's Mm -hmm. quite zen. (laughs) Take every breath and to see the life moments that we have to be cherished, which I think in the middle of COVID is probably a, a good thing to do. Definitely. What's really interesting is I read that book 10 years ago and it had no effect on me. Absolutely. None. None whatsoever. Somebody said, read the book. I read the book. A decade later, I read the book and it's delivered this most life-changing found yeah. yeah totally life-changing for me it's a bit like jumanji i think the book will find you when you need it <laughs> <laughs> but it's a brilliant book Absolutely but you lovely. might have to read yeah. it twice in your life yeah
0: <laughs> what do you do to keep mentally and physically fit
1: um I I like to multitask because I don't have that many hours in the day so for physical and mental um, balance um, and to keep fit and balance is the, the thing that you want to get out of uh, both being physical and mental um, for me I combine the two I do yoga So um, I do yoga with breath exercises. So I meditate at the same time as I do my physical exercise (laughs) Mm. and it just balances me off and I do it at like 5am and then it's done for the day and I set my intentions and then I evaluate my things to do list and then I'm good to go.
0: (laughs) 5am, you're a machine, that is amazing. (laughs) So, last couple of questions, and then I'll, I'll let you go. When I'm going through difficult patches, I remind myself of inspirational quotes from people that I admire to get me through. Like Victor Frankl's "From Stimulus to Response." There's choice from the magic of big thinking. How big we think determines the size of our accomplishment. Do you have any of those things that you fall back on in tough times?
1: <sighs> I mean, there's been quite a lot of tough times in the last twelve months, hasn't there, Just. Yeah, just um, a few. I think that I just literally ground myself in the present moment. Um, I can't change what I've done in the past. I can't manipulate the future. So whatever the time, whatever the tough time is, I think right in that very, very present moment, all is okay. So just to kind of get some perspective on it, to actually try and see the truth of the situation, which might not be my truth, It just might, just to really try and ground and understand the truth of the situation is probably what I try to do to get through that tough time and to know it's Mm. not going to be tough forever. And then I do surround myself with loads of different friends and families that bring together different perspectives, you know, um, so they can enrich my own point of view. And I think that tough times tend to only be tough because you perceive them as being tough. Mm. And then a good big big glass of
0: sauvignon (laughs) blonde that always (laughs) helps that always helps love it and my final question emma what is it you know about the world of advertising creativity and fmcg today that you wish you knew at the beginning of your career
1: oh all of it i wish i mean i i I, (laughs) all of it really i mean what a what a massive advantage i would have if i understood um back in the 90s how much the world wide web and facebook would take off
2: <laughs> mm. Mm. and how to advertise
1: yeah. successfully on those channels yeah right. all of it you know um,
0: life-changing
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> just much.
0: just buy a couple of facebook stocks in yeah. the early 90s well let's say in the early 90s early 2000s couple of shares of Facebook I think you'd be fine yeah
1: absolutely one of the funniest things that was said to me actually just to finish up was um my media director had said in a in a meeting oh my gosh um when I went to college Facebook wasn't even a thing and I was like when I went to college the internet wasn't even a thing
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh no that was yeah. it
1: yeah I didn't she said I didn't have I I didn't have a Facebook account when I went to university and I said I didn't have a mobile phone when I went to university oh, <laughs> oh, we have a, oh how we change we change yeah. but we adapt and, and and yeah life's life's there to be embraced and be boring otherwise wouldn't it?
0: absolutely love it Emma, I've really enjoyed speaking to you. Thank you so much for doing this.
1: Thank you. I've had an amazing time.
0: (laughs) We have been speaking with Emma Thompson. She is currently the head of agency at Garley Slater. If you enjoyed this conversation, then head over to Apple Podcasts where you can listen to over 125 such conversations we've had now with world-class leaders in agency growth and marketing thank you for your feedback and suggestions on linkedin and email write to me at nathan at agencydealmasters.com we would be unable to do this show without our very own dealmasters christoph boaschek is our executive producer tyler baller is our editor anita beckoldy is our production assistant sarah spence is our booker slash project manager i'm nathan anibaba you've been listening to agency dealmasters Hey everyone, it's Nathan here. I just want to tell you about the new Agency Dealmasters newsletter which is packed with insights and content that you may have missed from our previous conversations with our amazing guests. We highlight key themes and ideas from each week's episode as well as the key takeaways from our team. It's full of book recommendations, ways to run a more profitable agency, ideas to recruit and retain the best people new business ideas and much much more from the key people who really make our industry what it is it's all exclusive to our email list you're not going to find that content anywhere else so subscribe and read the latest issue by clicking on that link in the show notes or you can go to agencydealmasters.com news